Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Dan Ryan from Safe Lives and I will be talking to Natalie Whitmore, Service Manager from West Sussex Connect, discussing how they are working during COVID-19 and how best to continue supporting families experiencing domestic abuse. West Sussex Connect is a consortium of three providers, the U Trust, Aurora New Dawn and the Hampton Trust. We are recording this via online platform, so apologies if any of the sound of this podcast is not as it should be. So Natalie, thank you very much for speaking with me today. I appreciate how busy you are. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to speak to you. And you, and you. Um, so firstly, can we? Uh, can you please explain how Connect is set up and an overview of the service kind of before COVID-19? Yeah, so um, so I've been the service manager with the Connect team since we launched in November 2018. Um, and we have got a variety of interventions, uh, adult and child victims of domestic abuse, but we also work with families who wish to remain together. Um, and on those cases, we will work with victims, uh, perpetrators of abuse, looking at behaviour change programmes, um, as part of our whole family support, as well as the children involved in those families, um, as well as supporting clients and families where there is current domestic abuse taking place uh, to make sure we're keeping people as safe as possible. We are also providing a variety of uh, recovery support for adult and child victims, primarily in the form of groups, but um, on occasion also on a one-to-one basis. So most of our support prior to the impact of COVID-19 and lockdown had been via face-to-face meetings with families in the community um, on a one-to-one basis or on a group um, basis, if that was the, sort of the best support um, for them. Um, so we were always quite busy out and about in the community, encouraging um, clients to access some of the local support services as well. So there was um, kind of a two-pronged approach to it to get people into the community as well. Okay, so there's lots of different work streams going on for you. Um, so how has Connect changed it in light of the pandemic? So um, I suppose the first thing to say as well is, is how impressed I've been with my own team's resilience and and passion and ability to be really creative um, and adapt to what's happening. Um, It has been, we know that the impact of lockdown has been a really worrying time, um, especially for families where abuse is still taking place. Um, So looking at, um, you know, what their needs are, um, how we were able to change where we've not been able to do that face-to-face support, which we know is really crucial, but being able to adapt and continue to provide as much support as possible, uh, looking at those that are already in the service and how we can continue to meet those their needs um, via phone support, uh, but also digital support, so looking at um, technology that we can use to continue FaceTiming, to continue to either build a rapport or have a rapport with the clients that we're working with. So we're not just avoiding the end of a phone, but that they continue to see our face. Um, but also looking at making sure we continue to deliver a, a meaningful support, which continues to be safe. Um, so we know that we've needed to adapt 
our support plans um, and be really dynamic in our approach to identifying any additional triggers, uh, knowing that some services are reduced, knowing um, that families might have more restricted movement from the home um, and limited safe opportunities. So really looking at making sure identifying those straight away, um, but continuing to make our support really tailored. Um, so we know it's going to be kind of additionally frightening, but making sure that they know that we're still accessible at the end of the phone, um, that they can call, that we will listen and that we'll make sure that we are responding to their needs. Um, I think it's also about being really realistic around um, our goal settings with families and understanding the wider impact of what COVID has had for them as a family in their life and taking that into consideration when we're setting goals um, with the clients and being really led around what it is that they need at the moment and what their priorities are. So where we've adapted to more of a phone response, video response, um, online, emailing, um, sending out newsletters, we've been trying to overcome barriers um, so that we are still unique um, in our planning with families and making sure that everyone's voice is still heard, even if we are now having to go via the uh, non-abusive parent um, to make sure are being listened to and met as much as we can. So sending out resources, working with our, our partner agencies to look at that joined up response to support and what that looks like for them as well. Um, but also being flexible around our working hours so that if their families do need to speak to us when the children have gone to bed or if there's opportunities, it's when they're out doing the one weekly shop or an hour of exercise when we can have appropriate conversations as well um, and safe conversations. So it's kind of looking at um, building ongoing resilience for the families as well to try and empower them still in light of what is quite a, a kind of high-pressured environment at the moment for everybody that they're all trying to adapt to just finding their normal life pattern and routine really and how we can continue to work with that so that they find it meaningful um, and supportive um, and kind of having that joined up approach with the families and the clients that we're working with. So it sounds like you're really, really adapting to the uh, current climate. I mean, Connect works within a set of principles, doesn't it? Um, a whole family approach as well. So has it been easy to adapt those principles into the current climate? I think... Um, I think the, the, some of, a lot of the principles that we've been working to, which are looking at our flexibility and our multi-agency working um, and adaptability, a lot of those are just sort of really good practice working guidelines, I always like to think, because it is being client-led in our response. And I think without being able to sort of overcome the barriers that are in the way of lockdown, you know, actually as domestic abuse practitioners... We've had to do that for a very long period of time, you know, making sure that we're meeting the needs and keeping people safe. And I think although lockdown is is, is a, a difficult time for the families that we're working with, um, 
we also know uh, help overcome those barriers. And I think that's part of our skill set as domestic abuse passionate practitioners that we want to do everything that we can to shape our service to make sure that it is fit and that it is safe people will know that we're there and continue to refer into our service and that clients can still make contact knowing that we're there for them and that lockdown isn't going to put a barrier in the way to us supporting them because that's what we're there to do so I just think it's in if anything it's enhanced our the way we act the way that we respond to domestic abuse to just remind us of what we're there to do um, and to kind of just strive forward to make sure that we overcome anything that's in the way of that really okay so where are your um, referrals coming from at the moment so um we've had some really well good well-established referral pathways in place since we launched really um some of our key referrers are social workers within children's services um early help teams um the high-risk domestic abuse service um sussex police and also ongoing conversations with victim support so where um where they were already in place what we have done since um sort of covid has had more of an impact around the lockdown is we've revisited our partner agencies and just promoted that we are still taking referrals that we are still providing a service albeit not face to face at the moment physically um and what we have done is seen in the last two weeks a significant increase in referrals um, coming through following a period where there was a reduction. Um, I do think that that was partly linked with both families and professionals trying to sort of navigate and understand what the new normal looked like for everyone um, and identifying the priorities in that period, which um, at that time were not necessarily referring into us, were just finding out what worked for them as a family um, and kind of getting those patterns and routines in place because it was all quite overwhelming. Um, as that period passed, we've now seen that need uh, for the referrals coming in for that support and the safety planning to continue and be kind of invested in. Um, so some of those partner agencies really understand what we're there to do. And we're also able to understand how they're adapting and responding so that we can jointly support families still in, in what we've looked at, what we've moulded in our response to those families. So, I mean, the referrals that are coming in from all the different agencies that you mentioned there, I mean, how are you um, supporting them? What does is, what is your um, support offer to the actual agencies look like at the moment? So what we're doing, um, because a lot of services have had to pull back on some of the face-to-face -face work with families, um, if, uh, for example, an early help worker referred in a family but they had a really good relationship with them and they might have already started to do some video calling and some sessional work with the children, then what we are doing is rather um, at the moment in bringing in another practitioner who they're not going to be able to physically see and build that rapport with, we are looking at our um, consultation and sharing of our resources, um, especially our child and young person sessional work um, with those practitioners so that they have the increased confidence to be able to do that meaningful work 
um, that we would try and do if we were able to get out and see these children face to face. Um, but it also not only helps to upskill those practitioners, but it increases our multi-agency response to families. Um, it shares resources um, and it makes sure that the families aren't going through repeated practitioners. Um, you know, there, there are times where referrals will need to come to us and we will need to take the lead on managing the risk and providing support. But where it's appropriate sometimes, if there isn't um, the current domestic abuse and it is based on some recovery work, um, then there is the possibility that we can provide that consultation to other services to do that piece of work with our guidance and support. And that's worked really well, actually, uh, across the board with social workers, with early health practitioners, um, to kind of take take the baton and do some of that work themselves and to a point where we might be able to do face-to-face -face in the future. Yeah, I mean, one thing that um, um, survivors of domestic abuse tell us quite a lot is that their experience are they've had to tell their story over and over again. So that, I think, really echoes the way that you're doing there. So that's great. In terms of... Um, connect contacting families and things like that um, how are you doing that and how are you risk assessing with them so um i suppose from the from the moment that we receive a referral um, especially in in this period we are identifying straight away what safe opportunities we've got to speak with victims um whether that be what the form best form of contact is when there is any windows of opportunity whether they're still with the, um, the perpetrator of abuse or whether they have ended that relationship and if it's safe to leave and make contact. Um, we are continually risk assessing. Every client that comes into the service will have a risk assessment completed, but also on every contact that we have, we will revisit if there has been any incidents of harm, um, looking at any instance of coercive controlling behaviours, um, looking at any triggers that we think might escalate a situation for someone, um, and making sure that we respond appropriately to that so they know what their rights and their options are and what their safety plan looks like. So when, um, when it is safe and appropriate, we will share that with them so that they have got a point of reference so that there's something that we've jointly created that they know who their safe points of contact are their wider safety looks like from family and friends who are quite crucial in this lockdown period um looking at markers but code words but also making sure that they know that if they need to leave and flee that they still can um and also, you know, some of the barriers to leaving at the moment are looking at that kind of emergency accommodation and, and refuge provision. But what we don't want is for victims to feel that that they can't end their situation and that we would want them to leave no matter what. And that that support will be looked into and those options will be explored. Um, and that actually also those statutory agencies are still there. So the police are still there. They will still respond and making sure that they know that rely upon upon those agencies, upon us as multi-agency professionals to keep them as safe as possible. I mean, I suppose what I would also add as well is with the families where we are working the whole fam with the whole family and having ongoing conversations with the person within that home who is perpetrating 
the harm and perpetrating the abuse is making sure that we're holding them accountable for their behaviours, for their actions, um, but also keeping that line of communication strong so that if there is a situation at home that's escalating, that they will talk to us about that so that we can look at the behavioural strategies and techniques and look at diffusing situations so that there aren't further incidents of harm or escalation, but that keeping the, the victims and the children and the adults at the forefront of the work that we're doing um, so that they know how, you know, how we want to keep them safe and what their options are to be able to stay as well, um, as everyone has the right to do so in their home. Um, so it is about looking at the safety planning and adapting it if we've had to because of lockdown providing any additional barriers to accessing the support that they would normally seek um, and making sure that they know where they can go for help and who is available and what that looks like. And I suppose within that, it's very much, it's very important to ensure that that robust multi-agency response is there when you're talking about that as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think that's, you know, in the forefront of the conversations that we're continually having with our with our partner agencies on these cases, knowing what the options are um, and the support that would be there if, if the situation changed or escalated and that we needed to do something to make sure that um, everybody was as safe as they could be. So, I mean, when we're talking about, obviously, the risk assessment, staff obviously have to be involved in that. Um, so getting to staff a little bit, how are you ensuring that the staff receive the sufficient amount of support that they need, given that they're working uh, remotely and in a different way, not in the office, they're kind of working independently more than they would be? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that is key. Um, you know, their their well-being is certainly at my forefront, as well as the clients that we're there to support and keep safe. Um we are doing uh, regular team meetings um, online. We're having a sort of daily um, FaceTime, making sure that any updates are shared, um, talking to them about their boundaries around their workspace at home. Um, you know, it, it is a new way of working for people and it's, you know, not everyone will adapt to that um, way of working as others. So that's where it's so crucial to have that peer supervision, that time away from the screen, um, getting that fresh air sometimes when you've had a difficult call and looking at, you know, difficult as in emotion, emotional, um, you know, the information that we're hearing, you know, we're passionate about helping people, but it's it, we're human beings as well at the end of the day. Um, and if we're now having those conversations in our own home environment, it's how we can make sure we, at the end of the day, can close the door on our workspace to go into our own family lives so that the next day we can come back, we can be focused, our practice can be safe, um, and that we'll come back with that um, perseverance um, and, and sort of motivation that we're there to do um, at keeping people safe and supported. I mean, for my team, they do get clinical supervision as well. So we've made sure that's carried on um, via FaceTime, um, but also looking at, yeah, making sure that they get the case management and the line management supervision so that they're being able to discuss those cases and highlight any worries they've got um, so they can be talked through and there can be a 
strategic response to how we manage those cases, which makes them feel supported um, and make sure that those plans are still really fit for purpose and appropriate and safe. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it's sort of looking at the resilience within the team um, and making sure that that exercise and that time out and all the guidance around prioritising our own mental health and well-being with being at home all the time um, is really at the forefront of what we're doing as a service as well. So what's been the response then um, generally in terms of your adaptive way of working? Has it been positive on the main? Yeah, no, we've received some really positive feedback, actually. Um, what we try and do as well is with our peer mentors, we've been using their voice um, to mould some of the support that we're providing to our current clients, um, you drawing upon their experience of, of going through an abusive relationship, but also their thoughts on this period of isolation. And I think that's really helped to mould our response um, and actually clients have reported feeling really appreciative that we are still available as a service um, and although we can't do that physical face-to-face -face, they are really sort of positive around how we are able to offer video session that we're continuing to send out tools and resources um, so that we are still delivering a service that we would do if we were out going to see someone face-to-face -face where it's appropriate so that we can continue to have really meaningful interactive sessions rather than just touch base welfare calls. Um, again, with the parents and the children that we work with is really identifying how that relationship is, is working and developing on in lockdown with the added pressure that, that comes with homeschooling, um, especially with knowing what these families have been through um, and hence why we're currently involved. Um, we have, you know, tried to look at overcoming barriers by looking at our technology usage and identifying with families what access they've got um, so that we are then trying to meet their needs and being able to still provide, um, you know, a strong line of communication, utilising what they've got access to. Um, I also think it's just about that acknowledgement that it's a really difficult time in people's lives at the moment. Um, and not only is that compounded by the abuse that they're suffering or have suffered, but a simple, effective way of just letting them know that we're there to listen, that we understand, um, and actually that any small steps and goals that they can achieve in this period is 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 absolutely, you know, what we're there to do. Um, I mean, what we, what I can certainly say is that we have not seen any impact on our engagement rates. And the last in the last two weeks, we've seen 20 families referred in for a variety of support. And by being realis realistic about what we can offer when, it, they, when we speak to them initially, as well as being that listening ear and then looking at the support that we can provide, um, it just means that we remain quite accessible and relevant. And all of those families have engaged in our support um, to this point. Um, we haven't seen one family yet which has said, actually, I don't feel that I need your support at this time. Everyone has just been grateful that we are there to try and, as I say, ultimately keep them safe, but also make them feel supported. That's brilliant. Thank you, Natalie. I mean, we've almost come to the end. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we finish talking? No, I just, I, I suppose for me, you know, I've worked in this field for about 13 years now. 
And I think, and as I touched upon before, you know, our skills as practitioners are just to overcome and and do whatever is needed to to be able to be meaningful and to support people. And I think as 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 awful as the period of lockdown has been for some, um, you know, knowing that we can overcome that and hopefully for some families see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um in, in what can be quite a dark time, um, just shows the value and, and the passion and the reason that we're, we're here as a service, really. I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you very much for sitting down with me today. Thank you, Dan.